Bandwidth for this week in photography is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. I've always wanted to say that. And TWIP is sponsored by Audible. For a free downloadable book, visit audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP. Welcome to This Week in Photography, able to leap a building with a single bound and in pursuit of truth, justice, and the American way we are. I'm Scott Bourne, your host, and uh, my little brain... Are you wearing tights? Would you stop it? My little brain <laughs> big pal, uh, Alex Lindsay's at NAB. I came home a day early so we could do the show. But we do have a very special and fun episode for you because that voice you just heard was that of the one and only world-class podcaster, Leo Laporte, special guest on TWIP, first time ever. Welcome to the show, Leo. Oh, yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask. It, t- <laughs> it, took, an, it took an email from Adobe PR to get me on this oh, show. Oh, quit it. Isn't and that funny? That, that is they, funny. We got Adobe they, PR saying, there's this guy named Leo Laporte. You really should check him out. He's, got, he's really <laughs> cool, and, and I think he'd be a great guest for your show. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Anyway, um, I didn't know I had Adobe working on my side. You That's do, good. You I'll... do. And I said, well, I'm friends with Leo. I'll call him. Thank you. But the other side <laughs> of the coin here, we also have from Adobe, just by coincidence, and uh, a really good photographer, even if he's not from Adobe. Frederick Johnson is joining us from San Jose. Hi, Fred. Hey, guys. You know, and I'm, I, this is a special uh, episode of TWIP for me because I've been looking forward to meeting you, Leo, and this is, this is the first time I get to say hello to you. So, hello, Leo. I'm thrilled to meet you, and I know I understand that uh, you were scheduled to come to Tasmania with us, and then at the last minute couldn't make it. So, yeah, I, feel I know. Bad. I, I I fell on my sword so that other Adobe people could go. That was nice of you. I'd have thrown but, my uh, sword away if it were me, but hey. You know, it's in. <laughs> there were there were there were four Adobe people on the trip, and they were all excellent photographers. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's amazing. Just the the floor that I work on here uh, in San Jose is the Photoshop floor, and um, you know most of the guys and 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 gals here on the floor are are photographers, and you know they they code during the day and shoot on the weekends. Do me a favor though, if you see Winston Hendrickson, just say, "Hey, I understand you really love those cow photos." <laughs> He'll turn bright red. Steam will come out of his ears. He gave me a hard time the whole trip. He gave me a hard time for getting seasick, which I never did, but he pretended I was getting seasick. He got a pictures of me looking seasick, and I think he was using Lightroom to add a green hue to it. And then, and then I made fun of him the whole time because every time we were driving around, and if there were cows in a field, it seemed like Winston wanted to stop. But actually, it, I was just I was exaggerating. <laughs> Well, we're going to get to uh, all the details of your trip here in a second, Leo. We, we, uh, we got some business to take care of first. Oh, please do. The business is, uh, first of all, we want to remind everybody that time is quickly, and I do mean quickly, running out. If you want to enter our link contest, we're going to give away a year's worth of premium training to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com. And lynda.com has training on just about every photo software out there. It's an amazing place, and we have a one-year gift from Linda to one of our free lucky listeners if they have a link to us on the blog or from their website to our blog at tripphoto.com. We're going to pick one at random from our referrer links, and then at the end of the month, we're going to announce the winner. So if you haven't got your link up, would you please do it because your time's running out? We'll run another link contest next quarter, but if you want to win this prize... You have to get involved now. You must be 18 years or older to enter. And, of course, the contest is void. We're prohibited by law. Also want to briefly mention that we do have a blog. If you haven't visited it yet, please do. It's at twipphoto.com. 
Want to take care of the photography news real quick. There's a rumor. How I don't know why we're starting the news with a rumor, but we are. There's a 24.4 megapixel D3X coming. And this is from Engadget, which is not my favorite source of rumors or news. But they say that there's a 24.4 megapixel D3X coming. They also said the iPhone was going to be delayed last June. So take, take that into account. Well, they're quoting a, they're quoting a, uh, an the, icon blog, so yeah, don't blame it. And it's a typical blog quoting a blog quoting a blog. So take it with a grain of salt. But it could be true. And if it is, I'm sure all the Nikonians will be very excited. Uh, I'm getting excited right now as we speak. Quit it. You're just, you're just getting used to your free D3 and shut up. Worldwide. You have a D3 too, Fred? I was so jealous of all the people with D3s. I was just pissed off at them. Hey, you know, D3 is magical, and it really wanted to go to stop, Tasmania, stop, let me stop. tell you. This is a, this is a D3, <laughs> this is a D3-less episode, okay? Worldwide Pinhole Photography Day comes up April 27th. If you don't well, know that's what, better than a D3. If you don't know what, if you don't know what pinhole <laughs> photography is, please go to pinhole day.org and check it's the it opposite of a p3 Would you exact opposite <laughs> can you pot down that mic over there greg for just a second if i can finish the news um all right you want to talk about the d3 nikon has updated the d3 firmware already and uh, it does include a few fixes but it seems like it's not necessarily just fixes there's some actual expansion of control um, especially if you're using the g and d type lenses it also lets you specify faster minimum shutter speeds. Go over to Nikon.com and check it out. And while we're talking about updates, uh, let's look at this part Du Apple has done Aperture, and not to be outdone, Adobe has done Lightroom. Again, 1.4.1. <laughs> this is a retake, folks. Uh, this is like you press the shutter, nothing happened, you put some new film in. Uh, Adobe had misfired with their earlier 1.4.1 update. Now they got it back out along with a camera raw update. Fred, very, very quickly, and don't turn it into commercial, but tell us what this is all about. <laughs> well, you know, just to back up a little bit on the, the whole, you know, reverting back one version. You know, like any great piece of art, it's never finished. So, you know, wow. you got to bring it back in and shave off the loose edges and then, you know, put it back out in the wild. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a blog post from on Tom, Tom Hogarty's blog about all the details as to why we had to pull that back and push it out again. Um, but you're right. It's out now, and it uh, consists of camera support and uh, some bug fixes. Um, we're not sure if this will be the last release before we push out the commercially shipping version of Lightroom 2. There may be a couple more releases between there, but uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much where it's going to be, we think. Okay, well, thanks for that update. Another update from Nikon. If you use ViewNX or Capture NK to do your raw conversion and Nikon image viewing, they've both been updated. And uh, you can go on over to Nikon for that as well. And lastly, but not leastly, something that uh, has a little political overtones, and I'm not so much interested in the political overtones or undertones, but I am glad to see a photographer get out of jail. The AP photographer arrested by the United States government and charged with aiding terrorists has been released after charges against him were dropped by Iraqi judges. Associated Press photographer Bilal Hussein was freed. He spent two years in prison, and now the United States government has declared he's no longer a threat. So keep that in mind in case you're taking your D3 or any other camera to Iraq with the hopes of becoming a freelance journalist, you might get to know a little bit more about the inside of our uh, special prisons than you care to. Moving right along to something much more fun to talk about. 
you know, uh, Leo, every week we do something on the show you might not be familiar with, because I'm sure you don't have time to listen to us. You're doing 16 shows of your own a day. But uh, we do a, a website of the week related to photography, and this week it's LuminousLandscape.com. Have you ever been it's there? the one before? I would have recommended. You, you, yeah. The Michael one. Reichman is amazing. So you know Michael's work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Michael Reichman, and I know Fred is aware of him as well. He was on the first special Lightroom expedition. Yep. Uh, to Iceland. Michael Reichman is a very a talented and accomplished individual. Uh, he made some money in telecom in the, in the 90s, and he's, he's mostly devoted the rest of his life to photography. He gives up tons and tons of free information on this site. He's, uh, like all good photographers, very opinionated and believes in what he, he says. Uh, he's very technically capable as well as artistically capable. He covers a lot of stuff that you'll be interested in if you're primarily interested in nature and landscape photography. So his website is LuminousLandscape.com. Aaron will have that for you in our wonderful show notes uh, any day you'll be able to click on that link. If you have a suggestion for the website Pick of the Week, we'd love for you to put it on uh, our, our little system here. You can send us an email, of course, uh, via the blog at TwipPhoto.com. Or you can go to Delicious and use the Twip Ideas tag to let us know what's happening. And I'm glad you're aware of that, Leo, because that, that site is probably one of my favorite sites. And not just because I, I know Michael. I've gone shooting with him. He, in fact, wrote the foreword to my Photoshop book. I think it's one of the greatest sites out there because it is information-rich. He's, he's, he, as you said, he's technically brilliant. And his landscapes, there's just, nobody does a better job. He's just amazing. Yep, yep. Okay. Well, uh, another thing we do here every week is uh, we talk about our Flickr challenge in our poll. Um, we have a very robust user base visiting our Flickr discussion forums. Fred, have you had any time in the last couple of weeks to look, look at what's going on over there? You know, I've, I've peeked in there a couple times, but I haven't done the, the deep dive, so I apologize for that. Well, we got so much going on. First of all, this show is... is like 13, 14 weeks old, and we got 3,600 members who signed up already, which always astonishes me. We're on our way to 4,000. Um, we'd like for you to join that group if you haven't already. You can get the link right off our blog at twipphoto.com. And if you don't know how to sign up for an account on Flickr, just go ahead and search Flickr on our blog, and we have some movies there that will teach you how to do that. We also have a critique forum. That's a separate discussion group. More than 1,200 people have joined that. And uh, during our off weeks where we don't have our contest, we go in there and we try to critique some images. By the way, there's been some discussion there, people wanting to know how to get images looked at. And, and the best thing to do is don't just add them to the pool. Don't just put them in the Flickr critique pool. Go ahead and actually start a new topic, which says, here's my image. I'm looking for critiques. That way they'll appear in the comment threads. And you'll get a lot more looks. And people really are kind of afraid to dive into the pool anymore because the pools are being spammed and we don't really have any control over that. The pool can be accessed by just about anybody. And Flickr hasn't come up with a very good way yet for me to excise pictures from that. I can control what goes on to the moderated threads, but not in the pool. So put it up there on the threads by simply saying, I want to do a new topic. And, and then people will critique you, including me sometimes. And uh, it, it's kind of fun. Head on over there and take a look at what we're doing. And, and if you want to get better as a photographer, just look at lots of pictures. Leah, when you were on the uh, trip, which we're going to talk about later in the show, uh, you got to be with some world-class photographers. Did you, find oh, yeah. that, did you find that just looking at their pictures somehow helped you? 
Well, what's interesting is I was often taking pictures of the same thing. So mm. imagine, you know, I'm standing there and Bruce Dale, you know, 30 years as a National Geographic photographer is standing there. We both take the same, roughly the same picture. And then you, then you go home that night and you go, oh, I'll never be a photographer. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just daunting. These guys, I don't know what it is. They have magic in their bones. Well, you I know, know I, I bought some Tiger Woods golf clubs the other day and I'm still waiting to hit my first 300-yard drive. Yeah, I have all the same equipment. It, it, it didn't work. I don't have the equipment upstairs. That's what it is. Well, speaking of, of taking pictures of landscapes and nature, we have a poll on our blog, guys. And the current poll is, what's your favorite photographic subject? And right now, nature sits at the top at just under 30%, closely followed by people and then wildlife. So we want to know what you like to take pictures of. So run over and take the poll. You only get one vote per IP address, please. And we run the polls for two weeks. We'll have a new one next week. If you'd like to see us discuss something on the poll, then why don't you just give us more feedback once again, delicious TWIP ideas, or send us an email via the blog at twipphoto.com. All right, time for the good stuff. I've been waiting for this because, you know, I've just been a you know professional photographer for three decades. I didn't get invited to Tasmania, but... My pal, oh, Leo, here we go. <laughs> my pal Leo Laporte did. Well, and you got to know Michael Oland. That's the key. He's know, the guy who uh, writes the book. Uh, it's called Lightroom Adventure. And if I don't, did you ever see the first one, Lightroom Adventure uh, Iceland? I did because you know I'm kind of pals with Michael Reichman. I followed what what he went, and I knew that Michael had been to Iceland several times. So I was very excited to to see what happened. And we it's did have Michael on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, Michael's great, and it's a beaut- It's you know when I when I got it, and I've known Michael for a while, and. Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of his. He's been on the TV show and so forth. But when I got the book, I thought, this is it. This is exactly how – because it's both a, a book of great images and a book on how to use Lightroom. So yeah, exactly. I just love – and I'm a Lightroom fan. I, you know, bef- uh, That's the other reason you weren't invited, Scott. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm <laughs> You're a little bit of an eyes. aperture bigot. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute. That's not accurate. I've Fred, back me up. <laughs> You know, I he's he's uh, you know I don't want to speak for you, Scott, but he's uh, slowly making the transfer away from that other piece of software into the Lightroom world, and you know. Oh. But the the thing with the thing with Scott is he's got seven bazillion images that he needs to very take very careful baby steps with when he makes any change, right, Scott? Yeah, I, my big problem is I started with Aperture, and if I decided right this nanosecond that I wanted to be a Lightroom god. I'd have an arduous process of moving hundreds of thousands, and that's not well. I wouldn't move. I wouldn't move your images over. That yeah. that would be a huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't really manage my images with either program. I'd use something like Expression Media. Yeah, is that uh, what you like? Well, you know, it's the old iView, right? And, yeah, I uh, view Microsoft bought it, and it now comes with Office. I got a copy when I, <laughs> thanks to you, I got a copy as a speaker at MacWorld. Yeah, and um, it, yeah, I mean, that's the program for managing large numbers of photos, including offline data. And, uh, you know, one of the guys on the trip with us, Peter Krog, is the guy who wrote the damn book, the Digital Asset Management book. And uh, I asked him. No cussing here, Leo. No cussing on this show. (laughs) D-A-M. No no N at the end of that. Okay. (laughs) And as in Tinkers. And uh, and, uh, I asked him, I said, well, what do you recommend? And he said, you know, he talked about there's enterprise solutions, of course, but for the the pro photographer or the uh, guy like me, the amateur, um, I view slash expression media as a, per, a very good choice, and I think you know it's. I don't think Adobe's positioning Lightroom as a you know device to manage a large number of photos, or are they? Fred? Can, can can I answer that? 
Yeah, please. Yes, we are. Yeah, so, well, I say Lightroom. it's a mistake. So, on the the Lightroom is is set up to be a, a, a manager of large volumes of images, as well as uh, you know, of course, that non destructive raw processing engine. And then on the backside, it lets you share those images out. So you can manage all your metadata. You can create folders and and organize all your all your images, and then sort of pump them out to different services like SmugMug or uh, now you know working on a plugin for Adobe or Photoshop Express and you know, so it's it's meant to be that one repository for all your images, and then you sort of spread them out from there. We don't want to have you go out to separate applications to sort of manage all this stuff because, you know, as we know, photographers just want to shoot, you know, so you shouldn't have to manage all this stuff. The only yeah, app that we think I, that I don't you disagree, should go out I don't to. Dis- I don't disagree with that. I just think that you probably still would want to use an offline uh, manager. And I don't think, as far as I know, Lightroom doesn't handle offline files, does it? Um, yeah, it does. You, you, can, you can either import files into its database or just point it at a hierarchy on your hard drive. Yeah, I understand. But if I have a bunch of files on an external drive that I've now disconnected. Yes, you can do that. So it will, okay. it will badge the files and say they're offline, but it'll still allow you to manipulate the metadata and all that stuff. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So well, I will, uh, I'll give you a tutorial, Leo. <laughs> well, no, I know how to do it. Uh, I just don't choose to do it. It seems to me that it's not the ideal way to do it. Well, and, and that's yeah. anyway. That's been my struggle, but I'm starting to play with it. So, I, I mean, it's great for non-destructive editing. I mean, there's not. I think there's yeah. nothing better. Do you use Adobe Camera Raw, uh, Scott? I do. Yeah, yeah you'll I be mean, very. I, I prefer I, Camera Raw to the um, the Raw Converter in Aperture, which is one of the reasons I've decided to open my mind and look at Lightroom a little more closely. And I think there's some cool stuff there. And and I wish you know I wish I'd gone on the trip not just because. I would have liked to take the pictures, but because I would have liked to spend that length of time with all those Lightroom experts, and I would have probably... See, my problem is, you know, I'm a T3, you know, Apple-certified pro instructor on Aperture. I know exactly what to do with it. And then when I get into Lightroom, I go, now, how do you do that? Right. And it drives me nuts. Well, if you're, if you're familiar with Camera Raw, it's very similar. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to move on. Well, let's, let's just talk about it. Where did you go? Tasmania, which is not Tanzania. It's... <laughs> Were there any devils there? That's the first thing everybody says. Yes, there were. We shot the devils. And actually, we raised money to save the devils. I didn't, I didn't know until we got there that the devils were in jeopardy of being extinct. There's a, uh, not because of humans, ironically, but uh, humans are trying to save them. It's because of a cancer, a very rare, weird, highly communicable cancer they're getting. And uh, half of the population has already died off in the last seven years. So they're really working hard to save them. So we actually sold pictures from the trip at the end. We had a big reception. And raise seven thousand cool. dollars for that. That was neat. Wow. So there are devils, but they're dying out. So go there now. And 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 this is in Australia. Where is it like in relationship to places people might be familiar with, like Melbourne or Sydney? It's it's close to Melbourne. Um, it, it's off the southeast coast of Australia. It's a little island. Um, it's a state. It's an Australian state. It's kind of you know you think of it like maybe like Alaska, mm-hmm. except it's not as cold. It's on the same latitude as uh, San Francisco, so it's roughly the same climate. Wow. Uh, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's kind of unspoiled. It's, uh, it's got big pine trees and uh, rainforests. It's got uh, plains, deserts, uh, just everything there. Beaches, beaches all around it. And the neat thing about Tasmania, in fact, the neat thing about Australia, I gather, is uh, it's a big country with not such a big population. And so the did beaches, you eat any Vegemite while you were there? I did. I had a Vegemite sandwich. Did you like, like it? Down under. Yeah, I've had Vegemite before. It's okay. It tastes like axle grease to me. Yeah, kind of. 
you can grow it. Vegemite? It looks like it. It's their, it's, substitute, it's their substitute for mayonnaise, really. No, they yeah, put it on, on like mayonnaise. They put it on yeah, everything. Spread it thinly on toast in the morning. The idea, I didn't know this. It's a byproduct of beer, beer oh. making. <laughs> it's the yeast left over. So uh, it turns out they have a lot of it because they like their beer, too. Yes. So where Great did you beer in Tasmania. Where did you all stay? Where did you sleep? We, we had three different base camps. So we, we went to Hobart, which is the capital city, and a beautiful city, um, just really pretty. Uh, stayed there for about five days, and then went up to Bishino, which is on the uh, kind of the central eastern coast. And uh, this is, again, a base camp. So each day what would happen is uh, th- th- we had four cars or five cars and a van, and the photographers would basically decide where they wanted to go. Uh, there'd be a dawn raid every morning, you know, photographers getting up at 4 or 30 or 5 to get the sunrise wherever, at whatever their location they wanted to catch it, whether it's Mount Wellington or the, or the friendly beaches. Or, uh, and then uh, there'd be different excursions from the base camp. So Bishino was beautiful. We stayed uh, at a beautiful resort there, uh, Diamond Isle Resort, which I highly recommend if you go there. And then after a few days there, we went across uh, to central, north central uh, Tasmania to Cradle Mountain, which is where the rainforest is, and a beautiful mountain um, and g- gorgeous landscapes. And I, you know, I'm not a big nature photographer. If, on that pole, I, I'd choose people. Right. But boy, I, there was some gorgeous nature. I mean, both landscapes and wildlife. And did you sleep in a hotel or? Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't camping. We, yeah. It was actually quite luxurious. <laughs> and and um, how did you get around in buses or cars? Or? Well, as I said, we rented a bunch of. They, they had rented a bunch of cars. So you, you know, if you could drive on the left which I, I opted out. I didn't want to get in a head-on. Uh, but if you could drive on the left, you could drive the car. So the few of the photographers, we had a, Jackie King, who was a British photographer of the year, and she knew how to drive on the left, so she, she, she drove. Uh, Bruce Gordon, the, the National Geographic photographer I'd mentioned, had, had written a book uh, uh, some years ago. He drove from England to India following the trail of the gypsies uh, doing photography. What a great book. And uh, he knew how to drive on the left. So, and then we had guides. It was really nice. Tourism Tasmania provided us with four guides who were real experts in the nature, uh, you know, they, they, they were interpretive guides, so they really helped us. And they would say, oh, yeah, you want the perfect uh, – we found a lagoon, the Cloudy Bay Lagoon, that was completely deserted and just gorgeous. I mean, just so beautiful. And, that, you know, that was, that was great finding these kind of off uh, – in fact, a number of Tasmanians said, oh, I've never been there. Oh, I've always wanted to see that. So that was fun. Well, uh, was there – was it in a spirit of teaching and instruction that you worked together, or just everybody went and did their own thing? Yeah, the, the way it worked, and you know, photographers basically are solo artists, right? They're like novelists or painters. So they tend to work alone. Uh, but it's interesting because at, at least this bunch, and maybe it's because Mikkel Oland, the guy who put this together, uh, picked everybody so carefully – but everybody just got along so well. So you'd kind of decide the, the night before uh, they'd put up on the board where different people wanted to go. And you'd kind of decide. We all went in groups, uh, usually group, small groups of three or four photographers. And, you know, I expected them to kind of hunch over their cameras, you know, move away from me. And, but they were very collegial. You know, Bruce uh, would say, oh, there's look at that. That's a beautiful shot. And some of my best shots are I just would follow him around and see what he was taking yeah. pictures. <laughs> and then so we'd, we'd shoot all day. And, and I'll tell you, I don't know if you've ever gone around with photographers. It's, it's slow going. The drive to Bishino, as an example, is a two-hour drive. It's a pretty easy drive from uh, Hobart. It took us eight hours because we had you know, Winston Hendrickson from Adobe. Uh, um, uh, we had Angela Drury from Adobe, two very good photographers, but who also work uh, on software at Adobe. Uh, in fact, Winston's in charge of camera raw photoshop 
and Lightroom. So he's like a big honcho. And then uh, Bruce, Bruce Dale, the, uh, the brilliant photographer, is driving. And as we're driving along, you know, every five minutes, somebody would say, oh, stop here. There's a farmhouse. Or, oh, look at that valley. Or those trees are lit just right. And we'd all pile out of the car and we'd click, 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 and then we'd move on. So it literally took us eight hours to go this two hours. Another time we went on a 1,200-meter, very short walk. They said a 20-minute walk around the rainforest. It took us maybe four hours. So th- that's the fun of it. So then we'd, then we'd take all these pictures. And I would say people were averaging, um, you know, Bruce took a total over the 10 days of 3,000 pictures. I took 3,600 Peter Krogh took 12,000. So people are averaging maybe a, a, you know, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 pictures a day. Um, we'd come back at the end of the day, and we had a conference room. And everybody would go, and they all had their laptops, and they all had Lightroom 2. We're using the new Lightroom. This is in beta right now. And there are, there are four people. You know, the, Melissa Gall, who's a Lightroom developer, number three on the list of names. You know, I mean, she's, she's, the, she's really knowledgeable. Her husband, Troy, is, uh, is the number two developer on it, uh, was there. And, um, uh, and so we'd all... We'd all show our pictures, ask questions. You would have loved this part, Scott, where you, oh, how do you do this? Or, or, and everybody had great ideas. Some of them were Lightroom Pro. Some of them hadn't used Lightroom. We had one, one photographer, a uh, brilliant nature photographer from uh, Japan. I'm going to butcher his name. Um, uh, Ahiri, Ahira Masaki, a brilliant photographer. I'm sorry, Masaki Ahira. Aihara. Aiha. Anyway, he lives half the time in Tasmania, half the time in Japan. He came with film cameras and uh, scared us. Nickel <laughs> said, <laughs> said um, "You're gonna you're gonna use Lightroom?" And he said, "Oh yeah." At first, he said, "No, no, no, I'll film." But then he was just teasing us. He had a digital camera stand. That's funny. So we all we all had our pictures, and we would we go through them. And at the end of the you know we'd spend literally sometimes up till one or two in the morning because it was so great just collaborating and working together and and. I just would go around and I would look at these photographers like Jeff Fluger would get these great pictures. Charlie Kramer was there with a 39 megapixel Mamiya. He's a, he's a view camera guy, you know, big format guy. And uh, gosh, these things, the detail, the, the colors, stunning. Catherine Hall, who's this uh, brilliant uh, Berkeley photographer, just wonderful with people. She had images of, of Tasmanians that were, they looked like Dorothea Lange. I mean, it was incredible. Um, Katrina Eisman was doing she's, she, she teaches uh, photography in New York City and is a, a very good professional photographer but she was doing uh, things that were scaring people she was doing junkyard stuff she went to what they called the tip store it was a dump, and would pick like, uh, uh, all the scales and would do f- grids of them uh, she had, and the stuff came out just gorgeous she did a roadkill series where she, it turned out as, as you're driving <laughs> down the, uh, the highway. There's a lot of roadkill, wildlife roadkill, but there was also a lot of crushed beer cans. I mean, a ton of them. So she started collecting them and made a grid. It was the most beautiful image I've ever seen. Um, so I think, there was just, uh, I, I think Katrine is my favorite Photoshop teacher, by the way. I've, I've, she's, I've seen a lot of Photoshop teachers. Every, her books on uh, retouching uh, actually have been used to tr- teach most of my staff that needed to learn it. And when I went to my first and only Photoshop world I've attended, I paid for all these exorbitant sessions. And then she was teaching out in some booth on the floor. And in 20 minutes with her, I learned more new tricks than I had did all day in the paid sessions. She's, well, they're all like that. I mean, I'm, I'm, every single one of them, I'm sitting here watching and just blown away. Bill Stotzner, who was from Adobe, was also there. He dived almost every day. He dived with Ian Wallace, who's a Tasmanian 
uh, photographer. By the way, Ian Wallace, a couple of the images he took on this adventure, uh, he submitted and he became Tasmanian uh, ph- Photographer of the Year. Like the day at the end of this, he got the award. So it was really cool. We were all, Ian, congratulations. But Ian Wallace and Bill would dive every day. And Bill came back with stunning underwater images, just beautiful stuff. And now because... Uh, there's what he called a backscatter. There's you know there's particulate matter in the water, and he's using fl- you know strobes. Uh, he'd get this great picture of a sea dragon or a seahorse, but there you'd see these dots, you know these these, st- and so he's very painstakingly with Lightroom cleaning these things up, and they just came out works of art. And I mean, did you guys Peter- use did you guys use Lightroom exclusively, or was there any Photoshop involved? Well, a couple of people. Bruce Dale, for instance, was a Photoshop guy. He was an ACR slash Photoshop guy, so he was learning Lightroom. Um, but we, we tried to stick with Lightroom because, you know, that's kind of the point of it. We're trying to make a book for Mickle on how to use Lightroom, right? right? And we're getting feedback from Adobe. We're kind of beta testing for Adobe because Adobe wants to see how people use it and what their problems are, what their issues are. So everybody was using Lightroom, whether they were completely comfortable with it or not. Um, but there are people like Peter Eastway, who is a very well-known Australian photographer. He publishes the two big Australian um, photo magazines, and it's just a stunning guy. He's one of those photographers who takes an image and then doctors it a lot uh he'll you know he'll he'll do colorization he'll do you know he'll do a lot of doctoring mostly in photoshop and but he was using lightroom and just getting amazing you know the new lightroom you'll you'll like this it kind of blurs the line lightroom one um you know it was everything was total image you know whatever whatever you did to it uh was total image they now have localized corrections so you can take a paintbrush and say paint the sky and it, it will automatically do a mask and then you could say, you know, bring the exposure down on the sky, bring up the hue and saturation, things like that. So you can now do very fine. Uh, de- and so that's the kind of stuff Peter does. He'll take a picture of a horse and he'll black and white it except for the tail, which he'll colorize. Yeah, and I want to so- ask Fred real quick. Now, Fred, as we start to blur the lines between, um, you know, a, a photo asset management tool and a develop tool and a sharing tool into maybe a a pixel editor with Lightroom, is your company concerned about cannibalizing the Photoshop market? Of course they are, but it's uh, it the the kind of the line is that Mark Hamburg, he's the uh, sort of the lead engineer and the father of Lightroom, and he's also the guy that wrote a lot of the code with Thomas Knoll on Photoshop. But his you know, and Lightroom is his baby. He always wanted to sort of write an application that that had photographers in mind, not the egalitarian application that is Photoshop that everyone from video editors to graphic designers use. He wanted to do something specifically for us, for photographers, and that's what it is. So the challenge is to, like you were saying, not cannibalize Photoshop and still give people a reason or still leverage the power of Photoshop while giving photographers that that finite set of tools that they need. And I think the way Lightroom is going about it is with the whole... um, the whole non-destructive bit of it, like Leo was mentioning, the, the 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 localized corrections, you know. So now, within Lightroom, instead of you know going into Photoshop, rendering a TIFF, and then editing it that way, you can do it non-destructively in Lightroom and just sort of paint sharpening into someone's eyes or something like that. So those sorts of things are the you know in many ways Lightroom is sort of like the Marines going in first and sort of. You know, showing what's possible with this non-destructive technology that Mark has been, and team is writing. And you may see some of this stuff move over into Photoshop as well. I'd like to know, Leo, we're, we're, yes. we're going to try to keep this reasonably short so that we can get you out of here on time. I'd like to know, first of all, what was the biggest surprise to you on this trip? Ah, biggest surprise. 
how much I have. Basically, that I will never be a great photographer. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, cause you were kind of thinking you were going to be a great photographer. Well, no, I, no. I, I think what I thought was if you, uh, if, if you learn enough technique and you work hard enough, you can, you can learn. And you certainly can get to a certain point, but I, but I was talking to Bruce Dale, and uh, and of course the key to a great photographer, uh, besides creativity and technique, and you have to have all of those things, you have to have an eye. Right. And I said, uh, Bruce, can you learn that? And he said, No. <laughs> he said, You're you're born with it or not. Now you may not, you yeah. may have an eye and not know it. And I think you could certainly develop the eye, and you can read about composition and stuff. But I learned watching these people work that there is something special about their eye that they see stuff that mere mortals like me do not see. And, uh, and I'm content with that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a decent photographer. I can, I can t- you know, I'm getting better technically. I'm learning some you know, compositional tools and so forth. But I don't think I'll ever have that. And that's fine. It's a hobby for me. I don't, I'm not trying to make you a living. You don't need another job, Leo. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> but what was fun for me is I work in the, in the audio area. You know, I'm not really visual. So this is really a great vacation for me because there was no audio. It was all about the eye. And my and, yeah, my next question is what what was the best part? We talked about what was the biggest surprise, and what was the best part of the trip? Was it seeing the places? Was it going there? Was it working with the people? Was it taking the pictures? What? Oh, it's definitely the people because, uh, you know, I don't think we get in our lives an opportunity very often as grown-ups to do what you know teenagers do these outward bound things and they do these bonding th- adventures and stuff. You know, at best you get a corporate retreat where you kind of go, oh yeah, I really want to bond with that middle manager. But this was <laughs> this was this was a chance for artists to go out together and do nothing but create art, talk about art, uh, think about art, and and I just and I, f- I fell in love with every one of these people. I mean, they're just amazing photographers and people to work with and it was the greatest adventure i mean two weeks imagine wouldn't you want to do this two yes, weeks i really did want to do it <laughs> i didn't even get to simone muller who who went to a, a tasmanian museum and borrowed taxidermied animals penguins um, uh, wombats um, uh, foxes and took them out into the wilderness with studio lights and shot them <laughs> it's a bridal photography except it's a taxidermied animal Amazing. I well, mean, these guys. Know, I, I'm, I'm hoping to be invited to the Disneyland Lightroom adventure. I mean, <laughs> they, they may have the budget to get me there. You know, what I found out is that, in fact, a number of photographers on this, like Darren Leal, do these kind of photographic. Darren's about to go on a 26 day Antarctica photo expedition. The, pro, the difference is a little bit is that, you know, there's some pros and then there's amateurs. Right. And I was just lucky enough to be gone with the best in the world. I have so, one it, more question that I specifically want to ask you about this, Leo, but I'm going to save it for the end of the show. Okay. Because oh. it's important, but I want to save it for the end of the show because it fits into another thing we always do. See, we're, we're big on routines here, Leo. We're, we're big on routines. <laughs> okay. And part of our routine, of course, is to take a moment to thank our sponsor, um, we're very lucky to work with Audible, more than 40,000 downloadable books to choose from. And every single week, as a way to thank our audience, we have arranged, arranged a very special and unique opportunity. You can get a free downloadable book if you're a TWIP listener. And the way you do that is you go to audiblepodcast.com slash TWIP, T-W-I-P, and you can pick something to download for free. And my gosh, there's so much to choose from. Now, because we're a photography show, we try to pick books here that we think might be of interest to you. And we got a really, really good one. Uh, this actually, Steve Simon uh, turned us on to this one. It's called The Mercury Visions of 
Louis Daguerre. And uh, we'll have the link. Don't worry, because I know you don't want to try to figure out how to spell that. We'll have the link in the show notes. But this is by Dominic Smith, and it's, it's <laughs> well, speaking of luminous landscape, this is a luminous novel. Uh, Dominic Smith uh, basically reinvents the life of one of uh, photography's founding fathers. He's Sounds sing- have you Have you heard of this, Leo? Oh, I'm going to read it. I'll listen to it next. Yeah. I'm going to put up. That sounds great. This this fellow invented some of the early photographic processes, and he did it. Now, most most people don't know this, and this is something I learned in my first photo history class I ever took. He did it not because of the art, not because of the science, because he actually thought the world was going to end within a year. <laughs> wow. wow. That was the reason photography was invented. He wanted to uh, make sure that there was a picture of everything because he thought, you know, he called it his doomsday list and the 10 items he must photograph before the final day. Well, we all need a mission. Yeah. yeah. Now now keep in mind, it's, it's, it's a fictional twist. It's a fictional twist. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of fun license here, but, um, you know, he, he takes a picture of this woman he always loved, but hadn't seen in 50 years. I mean, there's a lot going on here, but if you're a photographer, I think you're really going to enjoy this. And if you choose to, you may make it your free downloadable book. If you go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. And of course you can use that pick for anything you like. And every single week, we're going to provide you with our suggestion. If you would like to give us some feedback, maybe you've got a great downloadable book on Audible that you want to recommend. We'd love to hear from you. Just send it up there to delicious at Twip Ideas or remember the blog, remember the blog, remember the blog, twipphoto.com. Send us your recommendations because we're always interested in what you like, too. But anyway, thanks very much to our friends at Audible for all their support of This Week in Photography. Uh, Fred, we've got some listener questions to answer, and I know you've you've been absent a week or two, so you, you know we you probably don't know this, but we haven't been getting many of these done because we've been a little long winded. But today, I forced us to keep time to a- answer some of these, and I want you to help. Okay? Sure, you got it. Um, we have a a listener from oh Australia originally, uh, but uh, now living in um, this part of the world. His name is Jonathan Lashinsky. And he starts out with, good day, fellas. You probably heard some of that down there, didn't you? I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, he said, I recently decided I wanted to take my photography one step further. For various reasons, mainly portability, I got, uh, got the highly recommended Canon G9, which is a camera that we're all in love with here on the show. Um, my question is, to what extent can the G9 be used as a semi-professional camera? With all of its lens attachments and flash compatibility, how far can this camera be taken and have you ex- ever explored the lens attachments for the G9? And lastly, um, this one he actually asked Fred about because he says Fred seems to really love his. Um, yes, I do love my G9. And so the the lens attachments, I haven't played with much on it. I'm still trying to explore all the features in the sort of camera in out-of-the-box mode. But what I have played with are the, you know, it's got a hot shoe on there, um, as which is absent from most point-and-shoots. But what that means is I have a lot of Canon gear because I've recently switched over to Nikon. Um, but my Canon strobes work on my Canon G9 as do the wireless attachments. So I can plug in the little wireless thing into the hot shoe and do some really crazy off-camera flash effects with it, um, a la Strobist, you know, strobist.com. 
So I'm uh, I'm really enjoying it, you know. And it's uh, as far as the question, you know, can it be used to replace a pro level camera or a, an SLR? I don't think so, uh, but I don't think that's what it's designed for. It's designed to play in that happy space where you know pros don't necessarily want something really small. You know, they want to actually get an image when they're out. That's something that's usable, but they also need the compactness of a of a camera that you can take around with you, and that's where the the G9 fits in. So I'm in yeah, love almost with the almost every one of the pros in Tasmania had a portable camera many of them g9s i bought mine because katrine had one by the way <laughs> yeah yeah well they, they do they do they, they do provide you with opportunity to take pictures in many settings that the old point and shoots wouldn't they're they're better and better and better this one has a 12 megapixel sensor so it can take a a fairly large image in terms of reproduction but like all point and shoots the the light sensors on the chip are small and that means uh, they get pretty noisy pretty fast and they don't they don't really give you the full definition that you would get from a dslr but i'll say this that depending on what you shoot if you're a people photographer and for instance you're shooting for a newspaper yes the canon g9 would work because those pictures are you know the, the quality requirements for a newspaper for instance are very different than they would be if you're making 30 by 40s for a, a gallery there are circumstances yep. when i think it could work but it wouldn't necessarily be my pick as the best tool for most jobs. But I love it. I use it a lot. In fact, that's all I took with me to Vegas to NAB, and it performed admirably. Let's uh, move on to 13-year-old Justin Prather, who listens and says, I've been taking pictures since I was 11, long time when you're 13. Uh, I love it. My question is, I just found an old Olympus OM-2. Now, see, that, that just makes me feel sad because I had an OM-2, and the word old was just attached to it. Um, wondering if it's a good learning experience to use an old film camera that only has manual controls. My vote is yes, it is a good learning experience. If you know what all those manual controls do, Justin, then as you transmogrify that experience into the newer cameras that you'll get as you become an old man like me, you'll be able to take those lessons and apply them. Does anybody else uh, have any feedback there? Uh, I do, yeah. I would absolutely recommend uh, learning on manual you know, because you know what the the thing is, light hasn't changed as you know that much throughout the years. So the the fundamentals of photography will always remain the same. You know, the, how much light gets in the camera to expose whatever is in there. So that stuff is like the bedrock of photography. And those guys that were out in Tasmania, that's sort of in their DNA. They could probably look oh, at yeah. a scene and and just say, "Hey, shoot that at this f-stop and this shutter speed." They don't even need to worry about it because they've been shooting for so long and they know that f-stop shutter speed ISO formula and i think it's critical that they get that the only thing that really you know matters i realize now now that you have tools like lightroom is that you get the you know you get the composition you want and then you expose it properly and Mm -hmm. the rest you can fix yeah you can even fix the composition by cropping so (laughs) getting the exposure right is the most important thing yeah but imagine how much more power you'd have if you get it all right in the camera exactly um Let's move on to Gene LeMay's question. Hello, guys. Love the show. Many congrats. Want to upgrade from a cheap point-and-shoot that I have, but I only have a budget of $500 U.S. Should I go for the top-of-the-line point-and-shoot you like, the G9? We're getting lots of G9 questions. Or should I try to get an entry-level SLR? Now, if, if you meant SLR, that's going to be different than if you meant DSLR. 
I don't think you can buy an entry-level DSLR with a lens for under $500. Are you either of you aware of one? I'm not. Uh, is the D40 uh, that inexpensive, the Nikon? I think the body only is 500 Yeah. I don't think you can. I get- say bite the bullet and, uh, and, and get, a, get, a, get a EOS Rebel or a, a D40. Yeah, if, if, if your budget is truly just 500 I think you're going to be stuck with the G9. But Which isn't you, so stuck. No, it's not so stuck at all. In fact, you can buy them for about 450 on Amazon right now. But if you can go an extra 100 or so, then yeah, you, you'll always be able to open up your future opportunities vis-a-vis our answers to the previous questions if you get a digital SLR. Now, if you meant SLR, if you meant a true single-lens reflex camera, meaning just you a film camera, <laughs> then, then yes, you can buy that for under 500 bucks. but you need to factor in your budget for film and processing, which will be expensive these days because there's no, you know, the, the discount processing houses have pretty much gone away. In fact, most of the processing houses have gone away. So factor the, in your ongoing cost. The thing to remember when you're buying a, a DSLR body is you can buy a cheap body your the glass is your investment exactly. the, the lenses yeah. so buy a cheap body get one good lens and then as your budget increases you can get a nicer body and you know people talk so much about the nikon d3 but that's a sony chip canon will have a competing body within a year or two uh yep. so decide on which you know company canon or nikon you're going to go with get good lenses that's that's my philosophy and, and you know the bodies are always going to get better as long as yeah as long as you buy any current body i mean shipping today you can't buy a bad one i mean there are really no bad ones there's some that are and better than others but buy good lenses is my that's yeah. what i spent all my money on uh, on glass well and of course now but you know budgetary good glass yeah and, and you'll, cheap you'll spend more on glass than you will on the body yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah. you know i have an eight thousand dollar lens leo so i mean well that's a little out of her budget yeah i know okay <laughs> one last question i think we have time for um and this is from Kent Goldings. Hi, Twippers. Great podcast. In an earlier screencast, Scott created a Photoshop action to add visual acuity to a photograph. I wanted Fred Johnson to show us how to create a preset in Lightroom to do the same thing. So, Fred, over to you. I did my part. Yeah, here we go again with this <laughs> throwing down on the screencast thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you do, can you, what I did was I made an action I called Photoshop Velvia. And it it replicates the old Velvia look. And I basically, you know, I went into the, to, to, to create. There's actually a Velvia preset for uh, Photoshop. Somebody, I think Angela Drury did. Yes, she did. Yep. Yeah. Well, I made my, I made my own. She also, there's a Cibachrome. Yep. That looks good. I've seen it. Yeah. What the question is, this is using actual Photoshop actions. So I went in and I adjusted the curves and went into Channel Mixer and, and played around. And I created this, Fred. I, I, the question is, and I, I, and I don't know the answer to it, is there a way to do the equivalent thing using a Lightroom preset? Uh, to, do, to replicate like a Velvia look? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you can do that, absolutely. But he was saying visual acuity. Well, what is, that's just what a, you... phrase, that's a way I describe to make that's – a, that's a reference point to something that pops. Like you know how Velvia okay, pops. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So crisp, crisp and a little bit more vibrant. Yeah, More I'll, vibrant, I'll have... more saturation, more contrast. I can so, I so can, can do that. that uh, I'm accepting the challenge. Can, can I'll accept the challenge. Tomorrow? I'd love, I'd love no. that for preset, Fred. <laughs> That'd be a great preset. There are there are a lot of people who do standard. In fact, you can do this on import in Lightroom, a standard action, a sharpen type action uh, on import. Yeah. I, yeah. What, 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 what I do when I import into Lightroom, I turn everything to DNG, 
And then uh, there are, you know, do a little sharpening and certain stuff. And you just kind of have that do it automatically so that every time you get your pictures, you kind of have a baseline. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. really cool that you would like too, Scott, is if you do a, 20 shots in a certain setting with a certain white balance and so forth, you can fix one of those images, then copy all of the stuff you've done to that image and paste it into the subsequent ones. So you can do en masse all 20 and get, I, I think you could do that in Aperture too. Yeah, but. you can do that in everything. And I do know, I do know how to do that. And I think it's a great feature. And I've, That's really useful. I've really enjoyed it a lot. In fact, what I'm trying to do is because I take so many images as I'm trying to figure out as much as I can of this stuff going in. So on import, I'm doing as much as possible because yep. the time consumption that comes on doing that image by image just makes it, for me, impractical. Well, that's all the time we have this week for questions. We, you know, we have to pat ourselves on the back. We got to at least several. We still want to hear more. And even if we don't read yours on the show, and probably, frankly, the odds aren't, we're getting thousands of these a month. However, we do read them all, and we use them to sort of point the bow of the ship in the direction that we think we want to go. So, you know, let's, let's know what you think. Send us an email uh, to via the blog, please, at twipphoto.com. And we will either read your question on the air or we'll at least think about it. And if it's really quick to answer, sometimes we'll even answer them directly. If you want it read on the air, you increase your chances by saying your name and where you're from and giving us a phonetic pronunciation of your name. Thanks to everybody that has, uh, put in some questions. By the way, we are going to do an all-question show coming up here next month, I think. It'll be nothing but questions. We'll start. It'll be call for help in the photography vein. What do you think of that, <laughs> Leo? Yeah, it's a great idea. And uh, we'll, we'll knock that out. Also, coming up between this show and our next regularly scheduled podcast next Thursday is we will have a screencast about... I, was, I wrote down here about something on my show notes, but now we know that Fred... We'll make a screencast for it. Oh, my God. And, uh, you're on there, Fred. You're in trouble. I feel like I'm standing on a stage with a spotlight on me right now. <laughs> so we'll, that'll take care of that. Also, uh, many of you know Alex and I were at NAB. Alex is still there today. He's on his way back. I got back late last night. We're going to do some blog posts about some of the photo gear that we saw at NAB. Yes, that's right, photo gear. While they were pushing it as video gear, it's all stuff that still photographers would use. So we're going to be talking about that over on the blog, and we might even do a little bit on the next week's podcast about it. Now, we have uh, two things left, our goodbye sequence, and right before that comes our tip of the week. Leah, one of the things we do at TWIP every week to make sure that people get true value out of the podcast is we <laughs> give them a photographic tip. And this is at least where... One, at least one tip. <laughs> at least one tip. And we're going to bring you back in because this is the third and final question I had for the end of our interview that I wanted to save till the end of the show. You just spent all this time with all these pro photographers, uh, you know, under the best of conditions with pro gear and all this stuff. You had to have learned something. So I what did. I'd like you to do is, uh, my, my question was going to be then, which I'll save now for the tip of the week, is what is your number one tip that you learned that you you'd pass on? And you know this. I'm sure every pro photographer knows this, but this is for the people like me who didn't know this. And I got it from Bruce Dale, 30 years on staff at National Geographic, one of the most amazing photographers I've ever seen. 70 years old, this guy's been doing it all. <laughs> I said, Bruce, you look, how, how do you look at something to decide whether... He said, okay, I close one eye, that flattens it, and then I squint, and that gives me an idea of what the lighting's going to look like. He said, close one eye and squint, you'll know pretty much what your picture's going to look like. <laughs> it's a great technique! It does help. Yeah. It does help. Close one eye and squint. So close the one pop, eye the and squint. The Popeye technique. Yes. They all... And he actually did he said that right after he did that. Maybe he was teasing me. There's he no a action for that, by the way. No, you have to do it in your head. 
<laughs> with your head. That's actually a great tip. Yeah, the, the 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 tip is based on the notion that you know we live in a three D world that we see with our eyes, but we we shoot for a two D world, and sometimes we got to think about what Ansel Adams used to call pre visualization. We got to think about what that image is going to look like. Yeah. Uh, in, a, in a flat world, so the, Bruce... the squinting eliminates all the detail, yeah. uh, and so it brings it down just basically to contrast yeah. and light. And so you can see: is this going to be really flat? Is there going to be some you know interesting light going on? Yeah. Well, thank you, Leo. I mean, you know, for a, a supposed non-pro photographer, you did really good. I'll give you another one. Yeah, a bonus tip. Charlie Kramer, the view photographer guy. Yeah. He still brings a cardboard cutout, a four by five cutout, with him everywhere and holds it up. Oh yeah, the old. That's another Ansel Adams technique. Wow. Yeah, he still does it. This guy has been probably doing this for fifty years, and he's still doing that. Yeah, the 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 uh, people who like to shoot in the thirty-five millimeter format can take an old slide mount and do the same thing. Yep. Uh, you put a put a chain around your neck with the slide mount there, and you walk around, and you just pre-visualize everything first, looking through there to make your composition. In fact, when I teach on workshops, I tell everybody, "Okay, we're gonna go go to this place, but I want you to leave your cameras in the car." And they go, "What?" Yeah, leave your cameras in the car. In but fact, there's a, there's a picture of a Charlie doing this to a wallaby. If you go to the, we have some of the pictures are up. I wish we had more up and I wish they had higher quality. People are a little paranoid about putting their images online, which is a shame, I think. But, Too bad. Uh, yeah, xyzadventures.com slash galleries. We have a couple of galleries of images up and there's one of Charlie and I think it's Jeff holding up the this cars. frame yeah. wallaby. <laughs> Well, and, and, and if you want to, you can do some research on the way Ansel Adams did this. He'll even show you a, a system whereby you can gauge what lens you need to make the picture based on the distance from your nose to the frame as you move it away from your eye. He had all sorts of crazy stuff, didn't he? The zone system and all that. Yeah, yeah. That's a, those are great tips, Leo. We really appreciate uh, you sharing them. And we'll have that gallery up on our show notes Aaron is our top-notch producer and our show notes writer, and he's going to make sure that everybody gets those links. Speaking of links, before we say goodbye, Leo, where would you prefer that I direct our, our audience, who no doubt adores you as we all do, where would you prefer that I direct them to find out uh, what you're doing and what you're up to? My personal site now, it's kind of, I redesigned it and actually has some, it's finally has some useful stuff on it, Leoville, L-E-O-V-I-L-L-E.com, and there's actually my pictures from uh, the trip are on in the photos section there via Smug Mug or Flickr. You can look at either one. Leoville.com. Well, thank you, sir. Very much appreciate you being a guest. And, of course, want to let you know that there's always an open seat at the table here should you choose to provide us with your illustrious presence in the future. Thank you. You don't I'd need an to... invitation, in other words. <laughs> okay. I'll have my people at Adobe call you. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> have your people call my people. And speaking of Adobe, uh, we're very lucky to have him on the show. Uh, Frederick Johnson... Don't, by the way, this doesn't get said enough. This guy is a tremendous photographer. If you oh, yeah. check, oh, no. Here we go. <laughs> if you check out his blog and look at his imagery, he knows what he's doing. He's a great teacher. He sort of just hangs back. He's one of those guys that's like, you know, well, uh, do you, you pitch and play baseball? Yeah, yeah. Are you any good as a pitcher? Well, I'm okay. What's your name? Nolan Ryan. I mean, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's really good. He's not, he doesn't toot his own horn. But, Fred, we're glad to have you on the show. Where, where, where would you like people to go? Should the blog be the place that we send them? Uh, yeah, well, they can go one of two places. So they can go, thanks for the kind words, by the way. Um, All deserved. It, they can uh, head over to adobe.com slash Lightroom, of course, because I'm standing in Adobe HQ right now doing this podcast. Um, or they can head to my personal blog, which is frederickvan.com. Cool. And if you want to know what I'm up to, uh, follow me on Twitter at Scott Bourne, all one word, 
And by the way, I have no idea why people do it, but they do. They follow you in droves, don't they, Leo? To scottborn.org? No, no, no. To, to go to Twitter, Twitter at Scott Bourne. But you have, oh, you're, you're oh, Leo yeah. Laporte on Twitter, aren't you? I'm number two on Twitter. There's some guy named Barack Obama's ahead of me. But yeah. other than that, I'm, so I'm in. You're I'm Leo Laporte, all one word on Twitter? Leo Laporte. Follow me, yeah, because I want to beat a Barack. How many, how many followers do you have? 21,150. Okay, so I'm exactly like a tenth of you. <laughs> so that's what happened, Leo. So I'm sitting here watching my email, and you Twittered that you were, uh, you were podcasting with us and mentioned my name, and now I have a mailbox full of people adding me and following me. Yeah. Good. So, <laughs> it's amazing. So, the Leo effect. It's the Leo yeah. effect. Now, here's the thing. I got excited when I hit 2,000, Leo, because Andrew Barron sold his with 1,500, so I'm at least 25% more much popular than him. I, I, about a buck's what it'd be worth to me, but, you know. It's so silly. That doesn't make yeah. any sense selling your Twitter account. I know. But I, I'm just I'm flabbergasted that people care what I say. But anyway, if you want to reach me, I follow you. You do. I know you do. Thank you. And I follow you. There. That's yep. it. That's a way to go. And also, if you want to see some of my photography, I have a photography only website called avianstock.com. A v i a n s t o c k dot com. It's where I. Is it sell all my, birds? It's all birds. Nothing oh, but look birds. at that! Oh, gorgeous! Thank you. And, and you do it royalty-free. Bravo. I do royalty-free. You can pay me 50 bucks one time. It's your image to play with. Oh. We had a big That's discussion amazing. in the van uh, about that. And the I, older and they I were, just, the probably the more they didn't like it. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough for them to let go. Yeah. But bits is bits. And once you let it go, you let it go anyway. Yeah. So I don't, do I don't worry about it. And we sell a lot more than we did when we tried to I do bet. them on a, a royalty-managed basis. Bet. Let people see your pictures. That's the most important yeah. thing you can do. They're all there. Anyway, avianstock.com. And, of course, don't forget the very important blog, twipphoto.com. Alex, who is not here this week but hopefully will be back next week, can be found at pixelcore.com or pixelcore.com. TV. We want to say thanks to Aaron for taking care of things. Thanks to everybody who listened. And for now, we're going to just put the lens cap right back on. 